0: Well, who likes to meet interesting people? I I like interesting people. We meet a couple of very interesting people in this week's Torah portion. They're not actually people, it's more of like, it's more of like a personality or, you know, uh, a role. But I put my whole teaching together on one of the more confusing topics that we find in the Torah, especially if you're a woman, um, on the Sota, Who knows what the Sota is? The Sota is the woman suspected of adultery. Remember? And she's brought into this super strange thing, and it's the only place in the Bible where, it's the only place in the Torah where the judgment of God is actually the deciding factor versus a court of men. It's very, very unique, and, and there's a lot that you can, that you can dig into, and so I I was thinking, how can I make this, let's let's teach these fine folks about the sotah, and then I realized, oh my gosh, there's virtually nothing relevant or relatable about that for you at all in your real life. It has not really, at the latest, it has not been practiced since the second temple period after it was destroyed and potentially even before that. So I found another weird and unique person in the Torah portion this week that I wanted to talk to you about. And you might, from the slide, you might know who that is. The Nazarite, the Nazarite. And, uh, you know, maybe equally as unrelatable on, on, on first gloss. But, actually, upon further reflection, we we can learn a lot from sort of this strange discussion of this voluntary choice of this person to take on a vow of separation. Now there's a side note. We don't have any specific examples in the Torah, but what person means person. This can be a man or a woman who decides they're taking on a a vow of Nezirut, a Nazarite vow. and. Alcohol is part of this conversation, though not all alcohol, interestingly. Did you know that the Nazarite could certainly enjoy bourbon if they wanted to? I don't think they had bourbon, but they couldn't drink wine. Nothing associated with the grape, the skin of the grape, anything. Okay, so there's this alcohol component in here and then we find some really interesting things about boundaries and communities and so I I was glancing glancing through one of my favorite Torah commentaries which is called unlocking the Torah text by uh, Rav Shmuel Golden and there is he discusses a really interesting question that Judaism has pondered about the Nazarite for a long time and it's it's the title of of this teaching and actually one of the titles of one of his uh, lectures. Is this person good? Is the Nazarite good? Is this a good decision? Is this sinner or saint? And it is assumed, of course, to be a good thing, right? Who's ever heard, Nazarite? Oh my goodness, That's a who would do that? Who's ever heard that? No one. Who's ever heard anything about a Nazarite? But, you know, the text in Numbers, it's in chapter 6, it says, He shall not contaminate himself to them. Even his close relatives who died can't contaminate yourself to them because the crown of his God is upon his head. That's how it describes the Nazarite. It also says, all the days of his abstinence he is holy to Hashem. Who's the most famous Nazarite? He's in the Haftorah. Who? Samson. Shimshon. There's another one. Who's another famous prophet who was a Nazarite? Shmuel. Who's another Nazarite gospel? Wrong. There's no explicit evidence that Yochanan the Immerser was a Nazarite. But it says, don't drink wine. He said. We just read it today in the Gospels. So the assumption is that John and his lifestyle on him being super weird, that he was a Nazarite. Okay, because Nazarites are interesting people. <laughs> interesting. So we would, we would assume that those are three very good dudes who took Nazarite vows. The assumption then is, of course, we say, well, this is a good thing, what we've just read. But we want to look at the root of this word, the root or the, the, the infinitive is Lehazir. The majority of, in, of, of opinions describe this as one thing to separate. Okay? To separate. Lehazir, We get this word nazir, na, Nazirite. Okay. What does holy mean? Kadosh means separated, it means separate, it means uncommon. We have holy and we have common. So holy, then, being separated certainly seems to be a good thing. Should one engage in activities that provide separation, that encourage separation? This is a question that's been asked. For instance, the Nazarite, if they cannot drink wine, the sages expound that to say they can't even be in the presence of anyone consuming wine or anything like that, what does that automatically mean they miss? Kiddush Havdalah celebrations. What about when your dad, mom, brother dies and you cannot be there to provide any comfort to yourself or your family because you've taken a vow of separation? Is this a good thing? And even more odd to consider is, if this is a good thing, what's up with bringing a sin offering at the end of it? That's what the text tells us. This is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his consecration are fulfilled, he shall bring his offering to the entrance of the tent of meeting. He shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb, a year old without defect, as a burnt offering, one ewe lamb, a year old without defect, as a sin offering. Now we know... From much of our study, we know that a sin offering is not exactly that. A sin offering would be better termed a purification offering. But still, if the Nazarite is a good thing, what's up with that? So that's the question. We know that holiness means set apart, not common, uncommon, special, and we would all want to be that. But is this the way... uh, uh, I can't remember which, who says it. It's described as an extraordinary vow. An extraordinary vow. Is this the way to do that? Is this good? Is this bad? Sinner or saint? And the answer is yes. So let's learn for just a minute. The overarching consideration, discussion, argument about that answer among Jewish sources through the ages rests on this question. Should one voluntarily abstain from what God permits? I'm sure you ask yourself that question every day should one voluntarily abstain from what God permits. This is a fundamentally important consideration in Judaism and actually a very strong demarcation from Christian thought. Here's what I mean. In the Christian world sort of overall, and I can't, there's, the Christian world is very big. So let's say the evangelical Christian world. There is like, The world is bad, heaven is good, the body is bad, nasty flesh, the spirit is good. And like way back, well probably even now because we just had a question, is ballroom dancing kosher, right Charles? Dancing bad, down on your knees praying all the time, good, drinking wine, terrible. Drinking unfermented grape juice, like they say that happened in the Bible, good, that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't do that. But my point is, there's a very platonic, dualistic thought that emerged in Christianity which says it's it's literally from Plato that this body, this earth, this world is Filthy and disgusting and terrible, and your soul, which is within this prison shell that it's been contained in, is yearning desperately to go and escape and be ethereal and float around. That's Plato's dualistic thought. And a lot of that, guess where it ended up? Into the writings and thoughts of the church fathers. That is not Judaism. asceticism, separation, abstaining from the pleasures of life has been viewed for ages in more religious, non-Jewish religious ways as a good and holy thing, but that's, that's not the Jewish way. And there's actually a, there's a discussion in the Talmud about this, which is Rabbi Elazar. He says... Uh, He he maintains that the Torah refers to the Nazir, the Nazirite, as having sinned because the individual unnecessarily deprives himself of the pleasure of drinking wine. If an individual who deprives himself of wine is a sinner, the sage concludes, how much more so is someone who deprives himself of all pleasures? We therefore learn that an individual who voluntarily fasts is considered a sinner. Okay? This is a unique thought, I realize. There's a counter opinion to that, of course, there always is. Rambam comes along later and gives another response. A person should, a person should not say, behold, envy desire honor and the like are evil paths i will separate myself from them completely to the point where he will not eat meat or drink wine will not marry will not live in a beautiful dwelling will not wear nice garments but instead wear sackcloth rough wool and the like as do the priests of the nations this is an evil path upon which it is forbidden to travel and one who travels this path is considered a sinner okay interesting He then comes along and has a completely contradictory response to that, and he says, the purpose of the Nezirut is obvious. It provides for abstention from wine, a substance that has ruined lives in both ancient and modern times. For he who abstains from wine is considered holy and is placed on the level of the high priest, and he goes on. So we have this strange difficulty that's occurring here, and trying to find the answer to this question is not quite as easy. Which is it, sinner or saint? Well, let's tackle the sinner part first, okay? The sin offering. There are a couple of suggestions here. Again, you're meeting a lot of rabbis today. We'll talk about uh, Rema and Simcha and Rambam and Ramban. This is the Jewish development of thought. Ramban Ramban suggests that the Nazarite brings this offering at the end of his vow because he's leaving this elevated and sanctified state of holiness and is returning to the mundane world, okay? So he brings an offering, sin offering, purification offering. Rabbi Simcha says that taking the vow is in no way sinful, but it causes the Nazarite to have to not perform certain commandments, like I already told you. Kiddush, honoring the dead. He can't do certain things. It's not an an intentional way of sin. It's an unintentional sin, secondary to the vow, but they say he has to bring an offering. So there's another side of that coin. The Ramah says that when the Torah refers to the Nazir as sanctified, it actually means after his period of sanctification, afterwards, when he has completed his vow, that during the vow, the Nazir has entered a period of temporary extremes. He is foregoing the pleasures of life separated from aspects of life that are good in order to get his life back in balance, He's made a choice temporarily to separate and live out here at the extreme, but in Judaism, extreme living either way is not good. So he says that the sin offering, the purification offering, is actually the Nazir's way of saying, I was out there, but I found myself and I've come back. I've reestablished equilibrium. I've gotten myself together while I was away. So the Nazir took this vow because in their life they recognized something is really screwed up in my life. I need to get myself together. So they went to the extreme. Something needed correction. Now, this moves us into an important recognition of, of this process within Jewish thought the whole thing about the Nazarite vow which you haven't really maybe thought about ever in your entire life and may never think about again after today is it's a lot less about god and more about you and your self moderation, your self-improvement. The Rambam suggests, and I think we would agree, that there are times when we as human beings recognize that we have veered off the path, that we temporarily need to go to the extreme, we need to separate, we need to, to be intentional in some life curriculum correction, and getting ourselves away from what might be normal for everyone else for a period of time is necessary. We have to do that. And so I told you Rambam presented this sort of contradictory perspective, but he says this. Our sages directed man to abstain only from those things which the Torah denies him, and not forbid himself to things permitted by vows and oaths. Thus the sages rhetorically asked, Are not the things which the Torah has prohibited sufficient for you? Why must you make it more difficult? Why do you need to add further prohibitions, they ask? Okay. In other words, God's given you this proper path. Why can't you just stay on it, Andy? Why can't you just be perfect? But how many have ever had a problem staying on the path? Anyone in the room? I have. If a person sees that he or she is excessively vain or indulgent, a vow of abstinence may have a proper place in that person's service of God. Here's a story. I like this story. Rabbi Shimon Simon the Just, would rarely partake of the sacrifice of a Nazarite. Once, however, he saw a particularly handsome young man who had taken a Nazarite vow. He asked him why he had done so. And the young man explained that due to his good looks, which he had become aware of when he saw his reflection in a well, he was being tempted by his evil inclination. To rise above the temptation, he took the Nazarite vow. Rabbi Shimon praised him for his actions. And herein lies a beautiful truth to God's relationship with us. Everyone loves free will, right? Let's, a free will. Let's talk about free will. What does that mean? Free will. Well, here's a beautiful example of it. Ready? Cut to the chase. You are responsible for your life and your choices. I say this way too many times. I know it gets old, but, but. The devil didn't make you do it. You did it. You chose to do it. Now, Judaism has some very wonderful and creative ways that we talk about sin. One is that if you sin, Jeremy, you are temporarily insane. Because there's no other way you could ever sin, knowing the goodness of God and the blessings and what the curse and the, the effects of sin on other people, if you chose to do that, then you must have temporarily lost your mind, okay? That's very nice, it works, it's, it's like, yeah, it's not true, really. A lot of us are fully within our mind when we choose to sin, okay? But Judaism has these, these, this, this idea, well, okay. Let's say it is because you went crazy temporarily. How many of you people get crazy then a lot in life? I am crazy as a loon. Here's Judaism's perspective. The world has been made with plenty of good things to partake of and enjoy, and you have been given many fantastic attributes and blessings and opportunities and all kinds of things. But when you can't balance your life, when you can't balance pleasure and discipline, you are out of balance. And sometimes, a journey to the extreme is the answer, even if it means temporary separation. How long do you separate? Well, the Nazarite prescribed length of the Nazarite vow is how many days? Shloshim, 30 days. But the person who made the determination to take the vow was actually left in control of that vow's duration. And there's an interesting way that the Torah puts this. In verse 613 in Numbers, it says, now this, this is the, the Nazbi, this is the new American standard. Now this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his consecration are fulfilled, he shall bring his offering to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Right? Straightforward. Here's what it literally says. This is the ritual for the Nazarite. On the day that the term as Nazarite is completed, the person shall be brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting. You see the difference? It's a big difference between he shall bring his offering and the person shall be brought. Why didn't it just say he shall come? That's sort of weird. He shall bring himself, but that's the beauty. The primary purpose of the vow is to cure one's tendency toward lust and pride and excess and overindulgence and addiction and all of it. And guess who knows when that has best been accomplished? Guess who knows when that's best been accomplished? You, the person who took the vow, is supposed to know that. And so then you come. Then you relinquish the vow. You bring yourself, in other words, your life, your your process of correction. You, You are your advocate But through that process, God will be with you and in the end, provide a level of sanctity for your efforts. Now, moving past into practical. Nazarite, that's the Torah. I mean, a little bit more practical in our lives, our daily choices, our vows. Listen, there are people listening right now, people I know, maybe in the room, who have substance abuse issues, addictions, recovered addictions, it may be that a vow of abstinence is forever for some people. It needs to be. You make the decision, you lay this down, you take up the corrective period, and you recognize, I can never go back to that. But you see, the difference in that type of scenario is that addiction and abuse separates you from community. By laying this down, you enter back into community because you become a tolerable human being again. So you move from sinner to saint by taking on a lifetime abstinence of something. Baruch Hashem, what a victory, that's incredible. Thank God for that. It's not easy. The sinner moves to saint, centered on self-awareness. So, here's the thing, the answer to the question certainly seems, is the Nazarite vow, is this idea good or bad? What would you say the answer is? I've gotta change the fact that I've scared you away from ever answering a question. If I were sitting in your chair, I would say, seems good to me. But you can't go there that quickly. Separation and abstinence are viewed as a good thing in Judaism? Not really. Connection to community is essential. A religious path that breeds isolation is flawed. So listen to me real carefully. Before, I know this is what you're thinking right now, and I was really concerned about this before I, pronounced, before I gave this message. But if you are sitting there right now thinking about leaving here, driving in your car, getting on a fl- plane and flying to Tibet, climbing up a mountain and just living on matzah and water and praying with candles and incense for the rest of your life, don't do it. Don't do it. Come back to us. Community is important. I'm kidding. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. The single most important determination in the value of the Nazarite vow and in our, our determination of our observance or our sanctification, it's tricky language, but you get it. The most valuable determination is the mindset of the person there is the nazir someone who accepts this vow out of personal predilection for an ascetic lifestyle they have an inward motivation and then there is the nazarite Hashem, the person who takes the vow the appropriate purpose of drawing near to god and part of drawing near to god is being in community where you serve that's part of it love god love people you can't do that on your tibetan mountain cave hannah don't go there i think i think of 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 the uh the master's conversations the disciples of john often fast and offer the prayers the disciples of the pharisees also do but but you guys are Eating and drinking all the time. It's, the context is a little different. But Matthew 9, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn. Listen, we're in the mix here. This is the world. This is important. This is where you live and breathe. You must be a part of the repair of the world. Our lives are governed by moderation and and celebration. How can we impact other people if we're completely separated from them? And I don't mean living in a Tibetan cave. I mean with a repulsively holier-than-thou attitude. That's what I mean. Sinner or saint? The answer, it depends. How's that? It's better than yes. It depends. There is the Nazarite who sees separation and asceticism in this life as the ultimate goal. And then there's the Nazir who sees separation as a means to an end. Your decisions should always be moving you toward community, fellowship, not isolation. Holiness? Seeking holiness and sanctification? Of course. Holier than thou? No. Thus it seems that the Nazarite is a holy calling rising above the mundane by observing a meticulous lifestyle, but it is not for everybody. There are certain people. Samson was called a Nazarite from birth. His mom couldn't even drink wine when she was pregnant with him. There are these people in the world. There absolutely are, but it's not necessary for everyone. For if God willed it, Chabad wrote, which I love, he would have created a world with no wine and no temptations. Rather, he wants to live within his world and uncover the wonder and meaning that he embedded within it. And the Torah certainly recognizes that there is a need for going beyond. There are individuals who will choose life beyond the basics. There are individuals who thankfully recognize that often it is through their own choices But they must make difficult choices going forward to separate themselves from certain activities. The activities may be permitted for others. They cannot be a part of their life. That's to be commended. But on the whole, on the whole, Judaism's opinion, no such thing exists really, but for the majority of us might be best summarized with these words from Rav Golden. Under certain circumstances for specific individuals and with the right motivation, temporary self-denial and social seclusion can sometimes lead to a heightened state of sanctity. However, on a day-to-day basis, sanctity is to be found through connection to the community and within the context of the physical world. You see the difference? It's beautifully freeing. It is indeed the reason that God gave the Torah. Not that that we were going to, as is so often believed, follow meticulously every letter and law so that we could achieve salvation. That's not what it was about. It was about the fact that if you did these things, you could live life full of good and blessing. That's what it says. Choose life. Choose blessing. We can't earn our salvation but we can certainly follow the book that we might live happily in this life, enjoying it, celebrating it even in moderation. And he gave us the Holy Spirit to remind us that we are in control of the choices you make. Anyone ever had a prompting of the Spirit which you said, Psh, did your own thing and came back and said, wow, I wish I had listened to that? Even when you get the prompting, it's still your choice what you do with it. God gave it to you to listen, to be responsible, to to respond. And so we tune in, and when we veer from the path, sometimes a radical departure from the path may actually be required for a time for some. But we have been given the tools to live in this world with joy and pleasure, not fearful or condemned for our natural desires and instincts, but aware and instead in control of them. You with me? These are the lessons of the Nazarite. Who knew you could learn so much from 21 verses of Torah? Shabbat shalom. Let's stand up.